Welcome into the Gig'em 24-7 Sports Podcast. I am Andrew Hattersley, joined by Carter Carls. Carter, you know, I've been out on the road for spring visits, visiting a bunch of high schools. You've been on the road for, for coaches' nights. It feel like we've kind of been just passing each other the past couple of weeks. Um, thanks for jumping on. How have you been? Good, man. Uh, been on all these coaches' nights, getting all these pep talks, and, uh, yeah, co- covering uh, – football and transfer portal news and all sorts of things so it's been a you always think oh may it's going to start winding down but not in college football it's always alive and uh yeah it was my first coach's night scene so that was that was fun it was fun hearing what Jimbo had to say and uh yeah it's been a been a good month fine fun little environment for him obviously to be able to get out on the road like you said it feels like kind of this is the the post spring kind of pep rally type of thing where he gets out on the road and kind of talks about the team, you know, it seems like he feels pretty good about where things kind of are. And uh, we'll certainly get into to many of the things he's, he's kind of talked about some recurring themes too, that he's, that he said, and yeah, been pretty active in the transfer portal. We'll get into that too. a has added a couple guys the past couple of weeks. Uh, the latest two were, Jade Walker, um, a wide receiver out of Grand Valley State, and then earlier this week, uh, Boston College offensive lineman Finn Durstein transferred to AM, adding, you know, first first uh, scholarship addition there along with the offensive line this this offseason. But the big news of the week, we got to start on the basketball front, actually, was Tyrese Radford. Uh, we've been kind of waiting on this decision for a little bit now when you spoke to him after the season ended you know he left the door open and said he could see a situation where he could be right back in the exact same exact spot talked about how many returning guys are on the team would be back next year and that being kind of an appealing factor and then this week he went ahead and made that announcement on Wednesday that he would indeed be returning for his super senior season at A&M um, he's third in Aggieland and uh, just a really, really big deal from a, from a lot of different fronts for A&M to, to get him back. And, and the buzz around this team and the expectations are going to be really, really high coming off the NCAA tournament last year. Yeah, and, and you see what they've added from the portal. And this backcourt, mm-hmm. this, this group of guards they've got, Man, I mean, I'm trying to think back to the last time they've had a a backcourt this stack. I mean, probably when they had, you know, Alex Caruso and Admon Gilder and those guys. Uh, but, I mean, you just look down the line, you've got a first-team All-SEC guy coming back, Wade Taylor. Obviously, Radford was uh, second-team All-SEC. And they added two other guys, and Eli Lawrence and Jace, Car- Jace Carter, they're both second-team All-Conference guys. A uh, smaller level, but still D1, uh, very impressive players who averaged double digits last season. So um, if those guys are your backups, uh, you'd like to think that, man, that this this group could really take a step forward uh, next season and, and maybe go a little bit farther into the tournament. Maybe they can make, make it in the second weekend. Um, now, Boots, I, I think I just love the nickname Boots. I mean, every time I hear it, I'm just like, mm-hmm. man, that's – so cool uh but he's a guy that uh, what i what i really like about his game is you know wade taylor it felt like a lot last year 
at least down the stretch. He was carrying such a big load. He His usage rate was really high. He felt like he kind of wore down at the end of the season, and he kind of needed somebody to, to pick up the slack. I think these transfers will help. I think Radford was in the same kind of area right there. But Radford, at times, if Wade wasn't on his game or if they just needed another bucket, he was that guy. I mean, I just – I think back to that Auburn game last year where yeah. I mean, he just eviscerated their defense, taking them on the dribble. You know, he loves to go left. It seemed like he was driving left that entire game and and, and taking it to the rack and getting the free throw line. Uh, but – Radford's just a, such a great creator for this team, and, and and they really lacked a lot of creators beyond Wade Taylor. So to have another creator back, and then you're adding two guys that averaged double digits last season for an offense that was heavily reliant on the free throw line, and you know some of the numbers were skewed, and you know the offense wasn't really that great. I, I think this offense could be what takes the big step forward next year, where you're going to have a lot more length. You're going to have a lot more options. You're going to have better shooting with the guys that are coming in. I think that's one of the big keys is, is obviously the three-point shot has not been great for this team under Buzz Williams. So, you know, you just look all around and you just get the sense that the perimeter play and and the uh, shooting and the scoring will, will take a step forward next season. No doubt. In every run, you're going to have things that, you have to replace Rain and the big to do item this offseason was replacing Dexter Dennis. And, you know, they've got some options to turn to now with Eli Lawrence and with Jace Carter that can kind of potentially fill that role. And then, you know, that the, you talk about the backcourt and, and we talk about Wade Taylor and we talk about Tyrese Radford. How about the guys right behind them and, and guys that, you know, chose to stick around for another year? Hayden Hefner's back. Andre Gordon's back. Manny Obasiki, um, you know, was playing a big role until he broke his hand in the in the Florida game, and and so you get him back now into into the fold, and and he was getting a lot of those backup point guard minutes, um, and and can add another guy off the bench, potentially a guy that can step in and start um, that. And there's there's a lot of rebounding out of the backcourt that you have, whether it's Boots Radford. There were games last season where he was the leading rebounder. Yeah. And now, obviously, you'd love to have Julius Marble and Henry Coleman kind of lead that front. But Tyrese Radford really adds a lot in, in some of those those dirty areas, some of those those dirty work areas that, you know, obviously scores points and all those sorts of things. But it's a lot of those stats that you don't see that contribute to winning. You go look at a lot of the teams that Tyrese Radford's been on. They've won a lot. And he's been to the NCAA tournament multiple times, has been part of really, really good teams at A&M and, and gotten better. His shooting percentages dropped a little last season, but he got to the free throw line among, he was one of the best to get into the free throw line in the SEC. And so, you know, his game has progressively gotten better. I think it was probably the right choice for him to come back for one more year and and see what he can do in this final year and then try to go um, make, a, make a career professionally. But I think that sets this team up really, really well. And they're just, you know, they're just loaded. We talk about 
you know, Solomon Washington coming back and, and a, what kind of jump can he make from year one to year two? Anderson Garcia, you know, this, this team returns just a crazy amount of talent. They're going to be in the top 20 when, when the polls come out, I think for the preseason rankings. And you would think just based on the fact that so many guys are back, it didn't click immediately last season. You've really got to just find a way to incorporate Jace Carter and, and Eli Lawrence, but otherwise this group shouldn't have to do a lot of time, spend a lot of time kind of figuring each other out like they maybe did last season. So I'm going to make a crazy comparison. Now I might get roasted for this. I don't, I don't know, but that's okay. Um, that's okay. <laughs> I'm watching what the Los Angeles Lakers have done this playoffs and yeah, it's kind of hilarious. They're they're like a uh, flavor of the of the game kind of thing. It's like, oh, this game Lonnie Walker is just going to drop twenty. This game Ree Hachimura is going to drop twenty five. Oh, this is the Schroeder game. This is the Reeves game. They got all these options. Some of these guys aren't even that great players on a game to game basis, but they just need like one guy each game to to go off along with LeBron and Anthony Davis. And I look at this A and M team what they did last season. And uh, it was a lot of that where it was like, oh, this is the game Anderson Garcia gets 12 rebounds and uh, like three blocks. Oh, this is the game Julius Marble has like 15 at halftime. Uh, this is the game Henry Coleman goes off. Yep. Like it literally happened every single game. Obviously, Wade Taylor and Tyrese Radford were your steady guys that, I mean, Red, Radford had a, a little bit of a bad stretch there in like February. But other than that, like, they were pretty consistent. It was the other guys that they need to rely on. And like you said, at the beginning of the season, they didn't know that. They didn't know their team as well. They didn't know the rotations as well. But by the end of it, I think Buzz had a handle of like, oh, this is Anderson Garcia's game. I'm going to play him 32 minutes. Oh, this is, you know, Marble's game. We're going to feed him the ball down low and get him in some favorable matchups. And I think it'll be even more of that case this coming season because you have so many freaking options. Like obviously Wade and Tyrese got to be your two main guys. Right. But beyond them, you just need one or two more guys to step up and you've got 10 of them that, that you can choose from. And so, yeah, my crazy comparison, uh, Lakers, Aggies, but uh, I really do think it's going to be this flavor of the, of the game kind of thing in this upcoming season again. Yeah, so what what you're really saying is A and M's about to make like an elite eight run. I got you. It's that's what you <laughs> that's what you're that's what you're going for. I call it right now. No, I I agree with what you're saying, and and it, it really did kind of feel that way last year. Everybody, you know, would kind of comment like, "What what's going on with Henry Coleman?" Like Henry Coleman seems to not have you know as big an offensive game as he's had. And then some games he really stepped up, and um, Julius Marble did the same thing. I think they're much better in the backcourt. Uh, you know, they kind of found their rotations. And honestly, like Buzz Williams talked him to do. And, you know, once he did that, he could uh he he could really settle in and 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 go. And I think that's what you're gonna kind of see with this team. Uh and we're gonna switch gears a little bit and 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 talk a little football, as you mentioned. 
Jimbo's been on the road for for coaches nights. A&M's had a busy couple of weeks in the transfer portal, um, adding some guys after the spring. And so we're going to dive a lot more into that right after a quick break. Uh, Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back into the Gig'em 24-7 Sports Podcast. I am Andrew Hattersley, joined by Carter Carls. Carter, we talked earlier this spring about kind of where Texas A&M might have an opportunity to add to the portal. Um, the roster numbers had been talked about a lot this spring, and A&M has kind of started to do, I think, what what we talked about, a couple more additions to the depth, to the to the roster, on um, you know, maybe targeting some areas, uh, you know, whether it's getting a guy out of, the D2 level, a backup at a at another Power 5 team. Uh, Got to start with Jade Walker, um, a transfer out of Grand Valley State. A&M's kind of been in the mix the past couple of weeks for a lot of receivers and, and you know, was kind of figuring out, okay, they're really good. They are going to get a receiver. They, they, it, it, it really looks like they do want to get one. Um, it was just a matter of where they were going to go. They, you know, were in the Keon Coleman kind of, recruitment for a little bit but that seemed to really come down to Ole Miss and Florida State um, was talking about an A&M visit didn't end up happening um, Shamar Kirk Gary Bryant Tyler Harrell a couple others that they've they've been rumored about and and have taken visits and shown interest um, Jaquay Jackson's another one uh, but they they land on Jade Walker who um, again was at Grand Valley State had 30 Got 30 passes for 623 yards and four touchdowns last season. Uh, comes to A&M with multiple years of eligibility remaining. For me, I think this is a nice pairing to go with Noah Thomas because that was kind of right the spot, right, that they kind of talked about. They needed to add a guy. Those were the kind of guys they were recruiting. You get a guy in Jade Walker, probably not the sexiest pick, probably not a guy that you know is going to grab a lot of headlines but pairs nicely with uh, Noah Thomas. And, and you can tell A&M's really excited about the potential and future of Noah Thomas. Um, Jimbo Fisher talked about it on the coaches' nights, as you mentioned, that he, he could be a guy that could potentially start at that, that spot. But to get Jade Walker um, adds just some depth to the room. What did you kind of make of that addition? Yeah, I mean, I think you – would have rather had Keon Coleman. That was probably maybe the best option in the in the transfer portal uh, at that time. But Jade Walker is a is a nice pickup for this team. I, I don't think they needed a Keon Coleman. Like they didn't need that. I mean, they, they, it would have been great. But this has um, been awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, it, this is one of the most stacked rooms, probably the most stacked room outside of the D line on the team, and. I think they just needed that big body guy. This guy's six foot four. I think he's around 200 pounds. Um, he was a first team all conference player. It's D2, so you never know how it'll translate, but you'd, you'd figure with the offer list that this guy had and him being a, a top player at that D2 level, that he should be nice in a backup role. And then obviously you're getting multiple years of eligibility. So maybe he can grow into something. Uh, we'll have to see. But I think you feel really good about your slot position with Anaya Smith and Moose Muhammad. It's an outside receiver. You know, Evan Stewart is obviously going to be one of them. Noah Thomas has really grabbed it uh, by the horns and, and said, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be a starter. 
uh, over the spring. Uh, and so really is that backup of like, okay, if he goes down, like we kind of saw it in the spring game, is it going to be Raymond Cottrell? Is it going to be Micah Tease? Are you going to have to get a walk on there? Like they, they were very thin at that position. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I, I guess Jalen Preston is another option. Uh, but um, yeah, yeah, I think th- this helps kind of fortify that depth. Um, if they want to add another receiver, I, I wouldn't mind it. I think they're unofficially around 79 scholarships right now. But I could also see them saying, hey, we're, we're good now. This is a stacked room. It would have to take a catastrophe for it to uh, be bad. But, you know, we saw last year it, it, there were some catastrophes. And, you know, that Auburn game, we saw what happened when they were without a few of their top options. So, you know, having that insurance helps. And uh, I think this is a, a great, great depth pickup for sure. No doubt. You had a guy that's been in college, and, and we'll get to it as well as I – I kind of made this point on the Finn Durstein thread, um, but you do feel good about where that room stands. And A&M has still extended some offers there, extended one to Christian Carter, who's another D2 receiver this um, after, after adding Jade Walker. My take on Keon Coleman is just that it, you know, it was never going to be a sure thing, right? Like it was never going to be, you could take your shot at Keon Coleman, bring him in for a visit, and then if you don't get Coleman and you don't get Walker, now suddenly you're scrambling and you you took your shot with Keon Coleman, and but you had a guy that was ready to to come into this class and commit, and you know if, if Keon Coleman, you were going to be battling Ole Miss, you were going to be battling Florida State. There was no sure thing there that that was going to be. Uh, that was going to end up happening. And so I think, you know, would it have been awesome to have Keon Coleman with this room have been taken to another level if you could have Keon Coleman, Evan Stewart, Anaya Smith, and Moose Muhammad in the same room? That would be elite. That would be an elite room. But at the same time, if you have a guy in Jade Walker that wants into the class, I think you take it. And if that means that you end up missing out on on Keon Coleman, you live with that, but it's it's the age of the, it's it's where you are in the transfer portal. Guys are looking for immediate impact. They're looking for a spot that they can go play. Unpredictable, and if you have a guy that can that wants to come in, I think you have to take that opportunity. And then, like I mentioned, Finn Durstein, uh, a an offensive lineman out of Boston College, committed to A and M earlier this week. Um, Jeff noted on the board that he has, you know, battled some injuries, talking to talking to people familiar with his time at Boston College, a former four-star in the 2018 class, um, has appeared in 14 games during his time with the Eagles and, you know, has been oft injured, but but comes in with a with a year left and and you know, I I I kind of get the pickup as well in terms of an experience standpoint, but what do you make of adding Durstein to the to the mix. Uh, he's another example of like he's going to commit, and people are going to say, "Who is this? Like, wh- why did this happen? What's going on? Like, he's played fourteen games. He's started four games. Uh, I love it. I, I, I'm going to say it. I, I love it because like 
just think about where they're at numbers wise. Yes, you would have liked to get a better player, but if you're gonna have to take a player, how about taking a six-year guy who's been around the block, who has the four-star pedigree that you mentioned, and just think about the drop-off that there could be if there's injuries and you don't get a guy like this, right? Like we saw it last year. Bryce Foster goes down. Yep. Oh crap! Matthew Wyckoff is coming in. Or, or, you know, a tackle yeah. goes down. That's Demetrius Crownover. Oh, my gosh. You know, well, you get these other guys in there. That Look drop-off. at that Florida game. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And the drop-off may not be as big. Now, the only the only thing is, uh, the, the thing I'll push back on is, I wanted to see them add some offensive tackles. Because I think if one of those guys goes down, yeah. I think they're screwed. I really do. I, I think Chase Basanis could become a great player, but as a true freshman yeah. in the SEC, going it's against hard. That, that's very hard. Demetrius Crownover, he he hasn't shown that he he's made that transition yet to tackle. And, and then you've got a bunch of freshmen and a bunch of other unproven guys there too. I think you gotta even if it's a Jameer Johnson type, I mean I know they're hard to find in the portal, but Getting a JUCO guy, getting a D two guy, like it's better than nothing, and you got the numbers. Interior line, Ben Dernstein's interesting. You know, I think everyone would agree. Dan, Cam do Cam Dewberry, not damn Kuberry. Uh, Cam Dewberry <laughs> is the starting left guard, uh, and uh, right guard you got Layden Robinson, and then beyond them, yeah. you you think Moko is probably the next man up. But Naboo's in that mix, Aki's in that mix, Finn Durstein's in that mix. That is so much experience and guys that can, like, yeah, they're not going to be as good as Layden Robinson, but, like, the drop-off is not what it would be compared to Trey Zoon to Demetrius Crownover. And again, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just saying, like, the, the drop-off, you're, you're always thinking about that because the SEC, you're going to have injuries. And this interior line, where it was a year ago, yeah, it was real shaky at times. But now I really like where they're at. And, you know, even if they have some of those injuries, I think they can be in decent shape. The offensive tackle that I'm concerned about, uh, and yeah. we'll see if they make any additions there. No doubt. And I think, honestly, in a situation like that, you might be better off sliding a guy like Cam Dewberry out to right tackle or trying to do that and have a guy that at least has experience in the SEC. And then maybe that's where the depth along the interior of the offensive line comes into play, where you can throw a guy like Durstein out there, or you can throw Moko or Aki. But the competition in there, I think, is going to be really good. And, and you know, you you watch like the film that's out there on Durstein. He can, he's, he's got some clips of being able to pull and get to the second level. He's got some clips, you know, pointing out blitzes and things that are coming. And you just feel like that experience. And I'm somebody asked me on the board, you know, 14 years of experience in six years, you know, is experience really the right word? Well, you've been in college for six years and you're a graduate student and that's a big difference than, like you mentioned, an 18-year-old coming in and having to see time in the SEC. If you're, if you get in a pinch and injuries start to happen or depth starts to happen, and I'm, I'm not saying you know, Ben Durstein's probably coming in with the attitude that he wants to start and he's going to push to start 
in fall camp. But realistically, with Cam Dewberry and and Layden Robinson there, is that probably what's likely? No. Does that mean he won't play this season? Not at all. There's you you want a guy like this that you're going to be able to turn to if you're in a pinch. Look at that Florida game, like I mentioned. And, you know the the illnesses and things that pop up out of nowhere during a season. A and M was having to throw guys like. Mark Naboo out there into the fire and and watch him play and 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 you know learn on the fly and you know you mentioned Matthew Wyckoff he had to play and was still a young player getting experience when you can throw a guy that's been in college for five years is in the class of 2018 that's somebody who is used to the day to day regimen of a college program has played at the Power Five level in the ACC with Boston College you've got the scholarships to be able to do it. Why not add to that, add to that room? And you're also adding a guy that's a, that has a presence, in my opinion, that can mentor a lot of those other guys in the room. There's, there's still young players in that room, the Chase Passantes, the, you know, Hunter Herbs, the Cam Dubert, he's still a young player. All these guys are like first and second year players. And if you have somebody that's been around college for a while, this team didn't have a lot of veteran voices last season. And that was part of the problem. They had a lot of young players playing and mistakes happened. And so I think to be able to add a guy like this, these were the sorts of moves you and I were talking about in February when we were talking about you're not going to go out and not every starter is going to be a power five (laughs) immediate impact contributor. But if you can get a guy that is okay with coming in and potentially coming off the bench and, and, and having a chance to compete for a job, it's the same with Jalen Henderson. You've got to take those opportunities. Yeah, so I try to think about if I'm a parent or a player right now. And, and just I'm going to give you two scenarios here. I am a player who can be a starter for Akron or Western Michigan. Right. And I can live a great year there, two years there as a starter, as a big shot. And then after that, it's very, very, very likely I will not get drafted. I will never play down the NFL. Maybe I can make it to these other pro leagues, but it'll really just be a waste of time. And, you know, I got my degree at a, at a smaller school. Or you can go to AM. You're going to be a backup. You're probably not going to play, but you get the clout of being a Texas A&M football player. You get the degree at A&M. You get access to the Aggie Network. You get access to some of the best facilities in the world. And, and you know, A&M's not alone that. I mean, you could say the same about LSU, Ohio State, Michigan. You know, these schools right. that have facilities and, like, this network and just the clout of, like, yeah, I play for the – LSU football team. I play for the Ohio State football team. You know, you're not going to play, but you get other benefits. You can get NIL money there that you're not going to get at Akron or, you know, Penn or, you know, like uh, whatever. But um, so I think there are benefits for the player as well. Like we talk, we always talk about the school, like the depth, the depth, but the player too. I think some of these guys are facing reality saying, 
yeah, probably not. I mean, they're going to want to compete. They're going to they're going to tell themselves, yes, I, I have a chance. But they they also are telling themselves, if I don't do it, I'm still going to get all these other great things that I wouldn't have gotten mm-hmm. at this small school, that small school, or that small school. So I think it's a smart move that a lot of kids in that situation should consider. And I think you're seeing the play out, not just at A&M, but at other schools as well. No doubt. And you look at it, and I think that scenario fits pretty well for a guy like Finn Durstein, who had opportunities at Appalachian State and UAB and UMass that he could walk right in and start. Or you can come to A&M and potentially not be a starter, but you can have a chance to you know, play in the SEC West for a year and, and, and go through that experience, go to, you know, he's going to get to play. He's going to get to be in this stadium and be on the field for the game against Alabama, you know, could, could play a role in that game. Um, They've got trips to Knoxville. He's going to get a chance to go to some of these stadiums that he's probably grown up watching. And, you know, I think it's a great opportunity and keeps, he's at the, He's a guy that can say he's been at a power five level for two stops. And that's, that's something that I think um, is pretty cool. And, and, you know, I think, I think he can, I think, and get an amazing degree. And you know what? I think he can come in and and compete at A&M and he's going to come in and compete and and go from there. And and we'll see how this fall. You never know how fall is going to play out. If last season taught you anything, you never know how fall is going to play out. Jimbo Fisher talked about it with Jalen Henderson, I think. When, and we'll get to that now with the, with the coaches' nights about – he said, I've, I've never had so many injuries in the quarterback room in a single year. Adding a, adding a you know, a, another quarterback to the room and, and to basically have a four-person quarterback room like you'll have this fall of – of Wigman and Max Johnson and Marcel Reed to come in the summer and Jalen Anderson now, you know, you never know what's going to happen. And, and, and so I think he's really learned that lesson from last year, but what were some of your other takeaways? You know, he's, you've been out at a couple of these coaches nights now. Well, what were some of the other big takeaways just from hearing Jimbo Fisher talk at all of them? Yeah. So uh, Jimbo's main message has been that, they what what the 2020 team had the 2022 didn't have he, he's he's said that multiple times at, at these talks talking about the 2020 team had the leadership they had the focus they you know had all that those extra like habits that you have to have to win close games to be tough win on the road you know, overcome injuries. And he feels like 2022, while they had similar talent maybe than the 2020 team, didn't have any of those things. He calls it the inches. You know, I don't know if it's inches. You know, you lose to Florida by 17. You lose to Mississippi State by 18. But the other games, you can kind of argue it, right? Like Auburn, really close game. Alabama, really close game. South Carolina, they had five losses that were decided by one score or, or uh, yeah, by one score that they lost. So um, he sees it as like not needing to change scheme or like I, I think he's kind of doing that. But I think to me it's more yeah. of a he thinks it's an attitude change. He thinks it's a, hey, 
we need to change the culture of the program. And uh, I think that's fascinating because, I mean, there are reasons to believe that with all the suspensions, all the distractions last year. And he said time and again that with NIL and uh, Transfer Portal, he hadn't had enough time to focus on roster management and relationships and all these like little factors that it takes to manage your roster, make sure everything's okay. And he thinks that giving the play calling duties to Bob Petrino will allow him to maybe babysit a little bit better. And, you know, I think yep. this spring there were some really good, really encouraging signs to me. Number one, everyone stayed out of trouble for the most part. You had the whole J- Jacoby Matthews incident, pretty minor incident. Um, might be something in 20 years that is not an incident, you know, depending on if the law changes regarding marijuana. True. But, uh, <laughs> but um, not just that, like they didn't have anybody leave other than Matthew Wyckoff in the, in the spring portal period. It was just yeah. one exit. Uh, Bobby Taylor thought about doing it, came back. And like, Obviously, I'm not trying to, to um, minimize what happened in the winter. I'm just saying that, like, where this program was at, like, January 15th compared to May 15th, very, you feel better about the steps that have been made. They've added the depth. They've added, a, like, they added uh, a couple players that could fill some starting spots. They changed play calling duties. Um and, you know, they feel like they've got a quarterback now in Connor Wigman. Um, they're calling it a competition. I'm not really calling it a competition. I'd be shocked if it was Max yeah, Johnson. I'd be surprised too. Yeah. But, but, again, you can point to these things of optimism. At the same time, some of the things that Jimbo's saying, I'm kind of like, uh, like he's saying, oh, the offensive line is the, the most – like the deepest position group on the team. And I'm like, are we sure about that? Maybe the interior, the interior is pretty uh, full of depth, but uh, Mm -hmm. the tackle position, I don't know. And, you know, he's still not fully told us everything about Petrino just yet. I think we're, we still got a lot to figure out from that standpoint. Um, He's been raving about, you know, a, a few different players. It seems like every time, He's always talking about Noah Thomas. Um, he's he's very high on the running backs, right? He's very high on the D-line with Turner and Jackson and Nolan in, in particular. So, you know, it, there are some recurring themes there. But uh, overall, his message has been, hey, it really, it, five and seven, it really could have been ten and two last year. They just need to change their attitude. And he feels like he's doing that, but, you know, Remains to be seen whether that's really all that needed to be fixed. No doubt. I think we're going to find out. This is a fascinating team in the fall. And, you know, you we're, we're kind of into talking season now where you're seeing a lot of pundits kind of t- start to look ahead to the fall. A lot of the moves and big moves have been made. The transfer portals are both closed for the year. So, you know, the next time it'll open will be in uh, November, I believe. And that window will open again. And so, you know, you're starting to get a better picture of what rosters are looking like. And I think the biggest question with the biggest thing people say with A&M is we don't, nobody knows, like nobody, nobody kind of knows this team could struggle through that middle portion of the schedule. Again, they got a really tough stretch 
to begin SEC play. Every game in, in the SEC is tough, but, you know, they've got a pretty tough stretch there with, with, with Auburn earlier, uh, Alabama, Tennessee are kind of all in that same, same sort of range. And so, um, you know, it's going to be kind of fascinating to see how, how this team kind of shapes out, but uh, we'll certainly be back to cover. We're going to be back next week to uh, look a little more at the offense. We took a little deep dive into the defense earlier this spring, and um, we're going to be back to kind of talk more about, about the offense. Um, the transfer portal will continue to roll on, and we're right around the corner from, from June official visits. So um, a lot to discuss, and thanks again for joining us. Be sure to hit the like and share button on YouTube. If you like these videos and podcasts, be sure to subscribe to us on Spotify and iTunes to get a notification every time a new video drops. And otherwise, have a great weekend, and we'll see you guys soon.